welcome to Fintech Insider Interviews. I'm Jason Bates from 11FS, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Stefan Ebner, CEO of Braintribe. Uh, it says here that you're a leading innovative software company. I'm sure there's a lot hiding behind that. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. So let's start off with what's Braintribe? Braintribe is, I call it a deep tech collective. So basically. <laughs> okay. So you, just you think about the name Brain, I said I want to hire the smartest people and organize them in a tribe and not an organization. So this was the root idea, 2005. Okay. So oh, how, did that, how did that start? Because that sounds like a very bizarre uh, business plan. We're going to br bring smart people together. Yeah, it was not because I, I was a musician first. So my first career was being a musician. Okay. And I started music, lived in the US and then basically came back, was broke. And I started computer science. Okay. So then found my first company, sold it, and it was venture-backed. So I saw a lot of bullshit in okay. my first company. And when, then I did a management buyout. And when I did that, I said, okay, <laughs> I want to bootstrap as long as possible. I don't want to have this management, this kind of bullshit attitude. And <clears throat> yeah, I like tech. And I said, I want to really stay a deep tech company. So and that's what we still are. I'm sure there was also a lot hidden in that answer. A musician that then creates a VC-backed company, has a management buyout, has an exit. Is I mean, think about this, what, what even as a musician, I always look for simplicity. And to be honest, the first customer I had an enterprise, when I stumbled in the enterprise business, basically I saw the complexity. So how complicated is it to solve like, like the simplest the simplest business challenges. No? Okay. So I was just shocked seeing the infrastructure and how, you know, all this playbook, what they're playing. And then, yeah, and, and, and since then, so we built our first platform, what is addressing also the simplification of data. Okay. And then, yeah, we did it this five year, we went up to 100 customers and then we decided to start again because I think this was the best lessons learned because we also, I think the first platform, it's always good to use it. <laughs> and then 2013, we said, okay, now we really know I went out from engineering <laughs> and let my guys do it. And then, then we built Tribefire. And this was really from, always from the idea, how can we simplify infrastructure, data, and make it easier for business people and easier to, to consume, but also for non-tech individuals. No? Okay. And, and so this was basically always this simplicity, this speed level. This is something what is in my DNA probably. So what is the, what's the pitch? Who's, who are your customers and what are the problems you're solving for? I mean, the pitch got, I mean, smart data is this category we're trying to build, but the pitch at the moment is pretty simple. No? We go to customers and say, hey, you spent like 500 million in data lakes and big data. And to be honest, for most of the customers, it got worse. And so we go inside and say, hey, let us help you to get the value. It's great you invested in big data, so you need the infrastructure piece. But we say, hey, let we take you from there. No? And we just help you to simplify it, to make instant use to your business for your new platforms so the pitch become so the further we came and and also that big data was a little bit of a disappointment now i think it's still a great technology but it was never built to serve business people and it was never it was never built to to serve all these startups and you know open apis so basically i think there's a big building block missing in the whole data stack and this is what we want to build so are you an infrastructure company, a products company, a services company? We're a platform company. A we platform. see a platform. So basically what we have is Tribefire is a platform. So we call it the smart data platform. No? And basically we connect to data. But this is, this is simple to do. Many people tried it. But it's also we basically make data expressive. So we always say let data express itself. So we give it a new meaning. No? So, so we take basically the business logic from hundreds of systems and put it in a new 
middle layer, and this is what we call smart data. Now, so for us, data is infrastructure side, what is big data, and we are basically this 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 one source of truth. No? So we have customers having 70 ERP system. So how does your customer look like? No? So we basically don't, you know, like don't engineer around with your infrastructure. We say, hey, let it be. And we just try to build this new kind of abstracted view on data in the middle and then make it easy accessible through APIs, but also we have a very strong tool that you can really browse data like in a graph view that you would understand data without even knowing where the data is. No? Mm -hmm. So this bridge between business and IT, but also between, for example, startups and accessing your infrastructure. So I think it's a, it's a, we see a little bit the infrastructure as a service, what is big data, and we see data as a service as the next big thing. No? I mean, think about the software as a service and infrastructure as a service. So I think there's something missing. If people say it's a data-centric world, <laughs> probably, data that serves its own, its own stack in the, in the cloud too. So what size of client do you sell to? Who, the who is your client? At the moment. So for example, we have customers like Johnson & Johnson. So basically to stay focused at the moment and we basically we, we deliver in <coughs> private cloud environments to really big customers, mainly in the financial service industry. So insurance banking, but sure we have, we have uh, Lighthouse customers like Adidas, Johnson & Johnson. We just did that because it was a long way to build the platform. No? Think mm -hmm. about it, it's not this, this pitch doesn't work for deep tech companies. Hey, build an MVP. It took us three years to build an MVP. Right. So we basically have this four-year strategy to serve big customers. Now we're moving to the public cloud. And hopefully in, in, during the end of next year, we can also make this available for all startups. No? Because we don't want to stay in enterprise. We see ourselves as a data company. Right. And also want to, so this is a four-year journey we are going through. No? So how do you, that sounds like a very complex sale. It sounds like a long-term thing to get into a company like Johnson Johnson. What, what's the big win for them? How do they justify it? I mean, think about this. It's still, I mean, they, they know something is wrong. Now, when you spend like another half billion in big data infrastructure, nothing gets really better. And you see the need from business. Everyone wants data. So basically, normally we choose one business case and we prove them that it's doable. No, so we don't have this, we sell this whole platform. Sure, we need to sh convince them that it's a new thing, mm -hmm. but then they give us a challenge. No? We don't really have a sales team. So for example, you give us a challenge, we build you an MVP, like this minimal viable platform, how we call it in, in, in a couple of weeks. No? And when, we, when you see this is working, you're like, hey, it's great, no? let's put this live. And then you build another application. And after a couple of applications, you think, hey, it's working. And why not rolling it out strategically? No? So we don't go for this long-term sales pitch that we want to convince them. But sure, if you help, you, help, you help them to cope with an existing problem. And there are a lot of data-driven issues coming up. Not now with PSD2, or GDPR, all these regulation changes. At the end, it's all like data, data problems. No? And, and now you can decide you want to really change your mainframe, your system for hundreds of million, or you, you try out new ways. No? So, so I think everyone has the problem, probably 10% customers are ready to or have the mindset that they tried. So I, I would say if you didn't really invest in big data, probably you don't see the need. You still think this is your way out of the mess. So No, it's fascinating. I Well, we were talking to a big retailer in the US and we, I think like you, are very much proposition driven. No one, there, there's no business case for architecture. So why are we making this change? And in fact, we were having a conversation with a bank yesterday on the fact uh, there's, it used to be there's a tactical solution, there's the big strategic expensive long-term platform, but actually those things are connected now. Yeah, they're connected, definitely. No? And, and, and think about, for me, it's like, there's a lot of innovation in infrastructure and, and, and a lot of in data, but people don't see this. At the end, it's the same thing. No? Uh -huh. Think about it have been like 
all these like container microservices, all the thing clouds. And then you have like even people treat this and, and we, th we see ourselves the intersection between infrastructure and, and data. No? There is an intersection because the end it's, it will be stored in your infrastructure. No? And to be honest also for with artificial intelligence and IoT, it's the same thing no? because it's also data driven. No? Mm. So, so I think it's people get more awareness that they need to really start something radically new. No? So I think when I see the last two years, it's getting much easier to and, and the more customers you onboard, no? and I think about we're still a zero marketing company. No? So, uh -huh. so basically we just do reference selling. So another customer talks to another customer. And now we're basically in this phase of really scaling this thing out in 2018. No? So. so out of all of these clients and different projects you've done, what are the commonalities? Are there some points at which you see people tend to start? What are the, those initial business cases? I mean, we have two, we have two main, uh, how we qualified opportunities. One is like digital platform driven. This is basically what you're aware. Somebody says, hey, I want to build a new bank. Sure. Let's just catch out the data models. So you don't really have legacy data, but you also want to start super quick on the semantic side. This is the exciting, but not so the money driven. And then it's probably the customer driven change. No, so the, the most of the problem, problems are driven from customer data. You want, Analytics didn't really do the job, no? I mean, if you don't have the data, analytics also doesn't help. So basically most of the things are driven by customers with 60 kind of application. No? Also, some, some call it omni, next generation omni-channel. No? So it's like, how can you get your customer data together? Mm -hmm. But then, and then take it from there. No? Because think about it, it's a long journey. No? I mean, mm -hmm. this is what, what, you, what you said. No? You need to learn to just have quick wins, but think big. Mm -hmm. And there's a challenge for everyone, for startups, but especially for enterprises. No? And is that how TribeFire, your platform works? Is it something where you can start small with a particular proposition and then build it into that big strategy? Exactly. Think about all the, all the semantics, all these data models we are building. We build it once and you can start reusing them. No? So we, the more we build, the quicker we get. Mm -hmm. And so we have hundreds or thousands of models. So when we would start with you, hey, do you want to use this, this customer model? Mm -hmm. So this is the interesting thing. The platform is not really IP. It's more the assets we built. No? So when you see the data assets, how we call them, running on the platform becomes the bigger IP for us and for the customer. No? So, so and, and, and like I said, this four-week pitch and what we say, hey, if you want to test it out, and we, we, we give you like a real result end-to-end -end, no? from, from, from real data, not everyone, but some real data with, with a new kind of data experience and some simple application. And this is still impressive for you know, when you go to big enterprises that they get res real results after a couple of weeks. No? Definitely. We find exactly the same thing, that, that fast results in a sprint, that building something tactical that can become strategic, it's just, it doesn't require that you know, 10, 20, 50 million pound investment and hundreds of people in order to make it work. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And the, and the great thing, we are like deep tech company, so our, but our buyers totally shifted. Mm. So it's more the chief data officer, the business people. The, and think about, it's hard to convince sometimes enterprise architects because think about, there's so many opinions to do stuff. So even that's even, so we always try to find a sponsor first with a clear business opportunity, then we test it out. And then we convince the IT guy this is this is a real thing. Now, because at the end you need a, a big scale platform, still you need to convince the people this fits in your like enterprise architecture. No? So this is, but it's easier way to if you, if you prove it first to business and you have a sponsor, and then it's easier to convince IT people because if you start with IT, it will always be a tool discussion. 
Definitely, because I think people put technology at the forefront too often and then try and retrofit a business case or how it will benefit customers rather than starting from that perspective and, and building back. Everyone talks about now we're vertically driven, we sell to business, but still it's not right. Now when you think about 99% of enterprise software companies still are selling to the CEO. No? Mm. But so basically just focusing. And it's interesting even from the organization. Also we have this strong R&D team, but with a very strong consulting team. Mm. Also at the end, so we don't really have sales. So basically we have verticalized consulting teams mm. that understand and identify the problems. No? So the first thing, we don't even need to sell you the platform. We say, hey, you have a GDPR problem. Can I show you how we would solve it? No? Sure. And then people will say, hey, what's behind it? And oh, it's Stripefire. And then it's easier sales than just like, because this technology sales gets, gets more complicated. No? But that, to me, seems the key problem with data, the lack of talented people who can actually work out what a hypothesis would be and what data they would need in order to test that. It seems everyone's focusing on bringing data together without thinking about how we would use it or what the opportunities are. Definitely. Think about in data science, 90% of these people are basically just meshing data. So they don't even have time of doing data science because they're doing more the plumping yeah. work. So I think think this data-centric culture, how we call it. Now, what we advise our customers, if you really mean it, is it's 50% technology, but it's 50% that you change your culture from infrastructure to a data-centric culture, what is huge, no? Because think about it, chief data officer normally has the role of just like, yeah, you give him some new initiative, but think about it, he has the same power and he has his own team and his own architecture, his own platform. It's a pretty new concept, no? So, so what is a data-centric culture? How do I recognize one? Data-centric culture means that people really can focus, think about, they don't need to worry about where data is coming from, but basically they get the data, like, like raw data in the format they need. So I give you all the customer data, so you don't know where it's coming from, and you think about, you just take the insights, you build new application on top of it. No? That's what I mean. But to, to have this kind of data, you also need to set up a data governance and how we call it the data supply chain. No? What is basically cleaning up data and just like, doing it in a very sprint-based, iterative role. Because there's also something a customer says, I need to clean up my data first, mm. and five years later, they're still not done. No? Sure. So this is also not a good strategy, cleaning up data first. So we always say, hey, do it iteratively. When you build something, you see the quality, fix it. So everything becomes a, a movement. No? And data, I think a data culture means you need to just think in smaller sprints. Infrastructure is still hard to move around. No, that's probably why it's called infrastructure, <laughs> because it's not, it's not really, it's not really a transportable. No? But with data, you can work more on this kind of semantic, understanding the data. And this is a fascinating uh, thing. And, and that's what I mean. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a complicated thing to, to change a culture from a customer. It's, it's hard enough to do it for yourself. So we have like, you need to be ready. That's what I mean. Now, if somebody is really not ready for having this data-centric culture, it will be a hard sell for us. No? Uh -huh. So, but when we see the awareness already, and awareness comes always first, no? then, then people are easier, they're more coachable, I would say. No? We wanted to let you know that if you love this show, how about seeing it live? We're going to be at Money 2020 Europe in Amsterdam this June, and we're bringing Fintech Insider live with us. We'll be bringing the podcast to the main stage right before the drinks reception, and you can be there. Sign up for tickets now. Go to europe.money2020.com forward slash register and use discount code 1811FS. That's 1811FS to get 200 euros off the ticket price. So it sounds like a, um, a very different way 
of delivering the services. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about your team. Who who works for you? Yeah, and basically, like I said, we have this. We're a little bit structured, like Alphabet. We have like basically we run in different domains. So we have this R and D domain. So we have like nearly eighty people would work in our deep tech R and D. Okay. And so around them, we build different vertical teams. So basically, we're a very strong consultant, but everyone has a tech background. Right? Okay. So this is basically, and, and we work with partners. So basically, now we work with Capco for financial services global. Right? Okay. So we just signed the agreement. So now we're looking for a life science partner or for insurance. And it's really helpful if you start with one, mm-hmm. because otherwise, you always get lost in the opportunity. Right? So basically, we, I think we know our strengths, but we also know what we don't want to do. Right? Mm-hmm. So we leave the project management, the delivery, to these guys and we focus more on the consulting architectural piece mm-hmm. and yeah and, and we can focus on our product and not because you know how these big customers at the end still are it's, it's they're like five years of payment transformation and you get lost in the opportunity as a startup and this is what we did before with the previous platform so these times we had a lot of lessons learned and and basically we just try to get give all the service revenue to partners uh-huh. so this this is this is just a philosophy what you what is in our dna now no? so do you see more of that ecosystem style play with specialist vendors and specialist providers yeah, working together definitely that's what i said it's, it's nobody has i mean this is what the big enterprise vendors still try to convince that we have everything but nobody has a full stack and i would say we can do so much stuff with Stripefire, but still we have a sweet spot and we just focus on the sweet spot and and think about we even work with all the integration vendors and ensure there could be competitors now analytics companies sure we could do analytics but we just team up with with, with these guys and and so you become much stronger and the same with system integrators now they, they're also looking for some edge new technologies to to sure. prove their business models now so you've created one company you've created a similar company again if you're going to do it a third time how would you do it differently no, I will not do the third time <laughs> because this time we're going to make. This is not. I think this is this is we, we had. This is the shot now. We feel it now, and, and this is. Uh, but I think if we can't make it this time, then I'm probably. Do something you wouldn't different. try the third. No, but it's it, it's it's just like think about we in our culture we've been bootstrapped for so long. We bootstrapped until nearly 80 people, uh-huh. and so even when you're a revenue-driven company, and this is this is I think it's 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 also a good a great culture that you live from the revenues of a customer. Uh-huh. And now we are basically going very late stage to 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 a funding round. No? So one of my favourite quotes is: "Startups don't starve; they drown." Sure. Uh, it <laughs> seems like there's pl- so much opportunity and so many things you could possibly do. Yeah. How do you focus on what it is you want to achieve? Yeah, it's. it's I think we. It was, it was really a struggle. Think about we are Vienna based now. We're in the US and and we are London and we're all over the place. So so it was the separation of concerns, how we call it, that we build up teams that can run independently. Mm-hmm. So we don't have the central management. So if you ask where's our headquarters, I would say Vienna R and D, London Financial Services. Mm-hmm. So basically, we are very purpose driven, and we basically we have. We have like how we manage the company, big OKRs and very weekly sprints. So the whole company. From, from selling runs on, on Kanban, on, on, on Scrum. Uh-huh. And so basically everything is, a, we run like a big Scrum board, but just weekly sprints. No? So, so you get the feeling, you get something done, mm. but the big things will take months, years sometimes. No? And even if you have younger employees to show them no? this difference between the big things. And this is what I've seen with a lot of startups. No? If you just work on these big objectives, you don't, you always feel you get nothing done. No? Mm. So, 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 and this is why we all, we, it was really hard to, to reinvent ourselves with this what, what operation model we want to use no? and, and just being in the US and for me it was really good just being around and I learned a lot from London, from, from New York, Silicon Valley, but also coming from Vienna and, and just taking the best out of it and that's what 
we also try to do on, on culture, on operation. No? So this is it's definitely it's not a disadvantage if you if you're not. <laughs> we were in TransferWise a couple of weeks ago where we were talking yeah, to their teams, and again, very small autonomous teams. But the the point they brought up was that actually the problem then becomes how do you align all of those teams along common objectives, given that they've all got OKRs and are all you know smaller things, it's smaller hard. pieces. It's really hard. I think it's just like you give up perfectionism a little bit. And just and just really tell people what what are the real key priorities. No, mm -hmm. think about still the objectives, but they're like a couple of things that really matters. No, mm -hmm. so we always try and think about we do like we have every Friday we have a all hands like tribe session. We distribute it, so we do a lot of stuff. We do a lot of investment in communication. And this is really paying off. No, mm -hmm. because no tool can really help you on that. Just like being present and and nurturing the real communication. That's a downside of techies anyway. To think that. Even with custom relation, you can do remote work, sure. but you cannot build up a re remote relation. So I think this is where I'm a little bit older, so I still come from. It's, it's really, it's, uh, I think that it also helps you a little bit when you come from a more analog world yeah. and you're not so used to digital only. No? So. I'm fascinated by how many startups or scale-ups have auditoria. Have, yeah. have places where actually you can do all hands meetings. Yeah. It seems we have that polarization of a intensely digital world of Slack and email and messaging, while at the same time are now building places and offices where uh, companies can get together as a as a whole. No, definitely, that's what we try to nurture and also. Think about it. Even when you're a platform company, where's where does your company end and your partner customer starts? So. It's the blurring boundaries, I would say. No? If you, so this is interesting. When you give up this, like, hey, everything is open, transparent. It, it's really an interesting model when you think about it. No? Because yeah. you have such a powerful, we're like 100 people, but we think all these partners. So you can say we're like 10,000 people when you just connect all the dots yeah. and you forget these boundaries of a, of a company. No? Uh -huh. uh, speaking of blurring boundaries, I hear you have a club in your office. <laughs> yeah, people. I mean, it's more than a club. Like I said, it's, it, it's a location. And what we, we have like 100 events and business events, hackathons, startup education. All hands and sure we have Friday, Saturday we have this club and this everything remembers the club. You know? So basically, it's a, it's a it's a huge location. It's in the ground floor, and and Friday, Saturday we just have so we don't do it, but we have somebody else hosting clubbings and it's just nice to, also for hiring. No? So think about we also so people so a lot of young people are there and they said we, we hired a lot of great people out of that. It's still it's an edgy differentiation, but. But it's a totally separate company now, and it's 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 my company, but we we. BCs didn't really like it, the idea that <laughs> a CEO focuses in a club. So basically it runs totally without us. But it's a, it's a great differentiation. And I like this kind of this diversity, just having different people. Because for me, diversity is not just like in your company. It means also that you have other verticals. And think about just having musicians and, and concerts. You just have different people. And it's also very powerful for your, for your employees. No? Because, mm. you know, like techies are very, they come with 22, make a lot of money. And some things. <laughs> yeah, I, I think people do forget that diversity is not only about yeah. skin, gender, race, but actually about different ways of, of seeing. Definitely. No? Think about even now we hired people from Accenture, from IBM, even that's a diversity wow, even move. people from Accenture. <laughs> but for us it was a big, but it was a diversity move. Think about it from our sure. culture. So we, need to, we had to open up our culture and, and really prepare the company no? because these people have so much strengths. But if you don't, if so, if, if it's your weakness, you see like strengths like as a, as, a, as your enemy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this is something. It's just interesting when you see how can you 
about people are joining and, and, and this is what is super important. No? That I joke because originally I worked for Accenture way back in the day. Um, <laughs> so how do you maintain productivity uh, within the team and, and lead them? I'm interested in for a modern organization, for a, especially where you've created your operating model. Yeah. Like how do you lead and manage and motivate as a CEO? Man, to, to be honest, I'm really the believer. I'm, I would say I will... I've, I have some strengths and also a lot of weaknesses, but I'm the role model. No? So my, my idea is I'm just like, nobody works when I'm not there. No? And I have no vacation. If that, I mean, any employee like worldwide has no, no holidays, I've, I'm not on holiday. No? Uh -huh. So basically when they're in Austria, there's a holiday and somebody in the UK needs to work, I'm in the office. No? So sure. just this is super important for young people, no? because otherwise you preach something and, and, and this is... This is this transparency no? and this honesty, what is brutal. No? I mean, think about transparency. People ask for freedom, transparency, but it's brutal. No? It also shows like if you're bad performing, everyone sees it. No? Yep. So employer always forget it's not a one-side way. Sure. And so I think this is what people at the end, they know no? we, that, that I'm, I'm basically just try to lead by example. And, and people always, I tell them the truth, no? whatever it is, no? even on on firing, whatever it is, things need to be done. And if you talk to people, it's not such a bad thing. No? Some things don't work. No? Both sides move Do you on. think that there's a limit to that? Famously, Buffer shared all of their salary bands and what everyone was salaries working on. We don't share. The only thing we don't share is salaries, to be honest. The only thing, the rest we share. And it's, it, really, it really paid off. And, and sure, a lot of, lot of, we also went through our trans transformation. No? So a lot of people left and it's, it's the, you just need to face the truth. When you move next stage of a startup, you we will lose people. That mm -hmm. no, and and this is. But I always tell people, hey, the end is just a company. No, because I just try to avoid it. Becomes more like this cult. So I always tell people, hey, it's just a job. No, no, but it's really sometimes because I had some bad examples. No, when people leave and people like, hey, it's like, you know, a tribe. People just push you out of the tribe and you. And so we, we also talk about firing, and we don't make such a big deal. We make a party when somebody leaves. No, so. Mm -hmm. That's interesting that you would essentially you you know use a message or talk to people about it just being a company because I agree you know you can join companies where uh, well bizarrely when I left Accenture the the it was such a identity shift I know people who left a big consultant consulting who still for weeks were talking about we you know when rather than I because they felt such ownership with that identity sure and this was a startup it's even more now it's like you see and. I think we have a great culture and so for people it's hard sometimes to leave, no? but, but even some people leave and come back. No? So even we had a lot of people that are, that are forced a little bit, hey, learn something with a different company and, and sure. so the people can always come back. No? So I, I think it just needs you also like there's, there's too much of the startup has too much of like it, it's still at the end it's a company. No? Sure. I mean, think about I think in Vienna I had, had this speech yesterday it's about the more people that around the startup system than startups in Vienna. No? You have like more consultings in startups than startups. And, uh -huh. and so it also becomes a little bit, at the end, it's just founding a company. It always happened and it's not such a big thing. So you're fighting the hype by no, just reminding people that I'm this just is... ignoring the hype. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's a good thing to be in Vienna. Think about we don't... We, when we got started, we focused really on the product. There were no startups, no networking, nothing. Sure. We just were coding day and night. No? Yeah. And this is what I'm missing sometimes. No? People need to three months MVP, what is hard for new deep tech companies. And also like, hey, if you're out of the office 90%, when do you do your work? <laughs> so, so this is what I really try also to find a good balance for my people. No? Yeah. So, so, 
and it's a hard ride. I mean, to be honest, it's a startup. It's a startup. You climb this mountain, and it's getting worse. But but you get used to it, so you're more like excited. Hey, what next? What's the next disaster coming up? <laughs> I, I totally agree. I think that there's this Hollywood TV view of what a startup life is like, and really, it's just brutal hard work. It's brutal hard, but it's a lot of fun if you're made for it. No, that's yeah. what I said. And and I'm teaching at the university, like this in, in, in Vienna, and I always tell people in the room, hey, 90%, I'm here to convince 90% of your people you should never find a company. <laughs> no? Because really a lot of people go more, they're buying into this marketing story. No? Sure. And they ask you questions like, hey, what happens when you, I run out of money? And you say, yeah, you're dead. <laughs> but, this is more, but this is, I think this is, this is but still, it's, I think it's, it's, it's worth it. No? I mean, I wouldn't change it. Being a musician, I didn't work a single day for a company. No? So even I don't, it took me a long time even understand employees not to get the empathy level that sure. I can really understand them. No? It's also important for a founder who never worked for a company that he understands the fears and the stuff because as a startup founder you get used to the fear and it becomes a normal life. No? So, and you get too hard maybe sometimes. No? So talking about advice and career advice, what's the best you've ever given or, or been given? I think the best was really because when we started raising money, one of my board guys told me, he said, look, for investor, hire the investor like an employee, you know? for culture fit, for skills. And we have this super complicated hiring process. And so we did the same thing and we even extended to customer. You know? Because I really think, think about an, an employee is still away, but an investor, if he comes in, this is a 10-year relationship. You know? so, so I really even... Think about we have a lot of traction, we have a lot of VCs, and I really look about the, more the partner than the brand, and I really look have the same standards there. No? Do I get along with the guy no? who will be in your board meeting? And so this was the best advice, and now we have it also in sales. We talk about customers, hey, do, are their culture fit? So it's really interesting because what I saw is if there's no culture fit between a customer or a partner, the project will be a disaster. No? Yeah. And I don't need this hit and run money, this is something. So we definitely. I'd, Choosing customers sounds super arrogant, but it's more like finding out if even for them, if it's a fit, then we can really help them. And it's not just the technology, it's also if we have the culture to work with their culture. I, I so agree. We found that very much with 11FS, yeah. that there are some people that fit and some companies that fit and great things happen. And there are others that even through the RFP process or talking to them, you think, this is just not going to go well, you know, you, and it's, it's being able to, to follow that intuition, so, I guess. So what do you do after that? You, you go for we the don't, RFP? No, you no. Don't no, in fact, we've been asked to, to price or deliver or, or, you know, to propose things where we've said, if you want that, then it's just probably not us um, because ultimately it isn't. No, I think this takes really some, I think this is great when you're a little bit over 40 now, but I really think this is the, the biggest problem we came into choosing the wrong customers. To be honest, when I look back all the 15 years of having companies, it always started with customers you knew on the signature this will never work. <laughs> no, but it, it, it's really, it's exhausting no? because it, it drags you away from the product and, and great customers help you to make your product better. That's really, no? and, and, and so... So for customers who can get into this process in order to, uh, <laughs> to find out whether they are a fit, how do they find out about you? Like I said, at the moment, it's more like um, we, we try to stay focused. End of March is our business. So we're pre preparing this big relaunch and our big growth funding round. Now, so at the moment, it's still more partner bring us a lot of opportunities. We work also close with some analysts and we get about 20 customer inbounds per week okay. from huge enterprises. So it's, it's, we just try to stay focused, no? so, but this is when you do like, you deliver, and I always say the guys deliver on time, and we will be very unique in the enterprise space. No? 
think about it, it's so normal of, of not delivering that even people don't care anymore. No? So they say, hey, this guy's delivered on time. What's wrong with this guy? <laughs> no? But so I think this is focusing. Customers will refer to others because they're proud if they have something what is working. <laughs> what you so guys what about also uh, listeners and viewers? How would they find you? They can come to Vienna. <laughs> <laughs> you no, must have a website no, or a Twitter. Website, or Braintrap.com. We, 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 we're going to launch our beta cloud very soon. So we have, we have this public cloud on Google that people can start using the tool uh -huh. in, in from January and just playing around a little bit so for a full year. And, and really, in Vienna, we have this. We have every second week we have a Tripfire bootcamp, and people can join for free if they want to learn. And it's also a big success. Now, so we have a full week of training where people don't pay; they just come to Vienna. Uh -huh. And we have like 20, 30 people joining every second week, just learning to. And, and they learn. So this is also we try to be super open and. Fantastic. Well, next time in Vienna, I'm sure I'll uh, I'll drop by and see you. Uh, Stefan, thanks so much for Thank taking so much. some time and talking to us. Um, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. So, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our podcast. Reviewers on iTunes. We love reading those reviews. And befrienders, if that's the verb, uh, on Facebook and or Twitter. That's all for now. <laughs>